We pray. Gracious God, just thank you for how you've led us into uh, so many new ventures, and Lord, so many more to come. And we're just excited to be part of uh, uh, something that, um, Lord, now we're filled with dreams and with passion, and God, we want to make such an impact in this world for you and for your glory. So Lord, as, as we spend these next three Sundays talking about the blueprint, the concrete plans that, that the elders have formed to bring the vision to life, we just ask that you'd be with us. And God, I just pray that you would impact every one of us, even me, Lord, as I preach, so that we would know our place in the vision and develop that passion for it that you call us to. So Lord, speak now. Let your spirit move deeply among us, we pray. Let me ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the news from home was bad. It was really bad. A man was 800 miles away and his, uh, his heart broke when he heard about what was going on. And it made him cry. And then it made him pray. And then it made him do something great for God. Do you know who I'm talking about? That biblical character that uh, I'm describing to you? There's a man named Nehemiah, a man who was an incredible leader, an incredible visionary, and a man who did great things for God. And over these next three weeks, I'm going to be speaking to you out of the book of Nehemiah in order that I can describe to you not only the biblical truth about vision that arises from it, but also the blueprint, this concrete plan that uh, has been drawn up by your elders to accomplish the vision that uh, you have on the wall right outside. I hope you read often and familiar, familiarize yourself with. The elders have called this putting flesh on the bones of the vision. And as I, as I preach to you, I want to, I, I want to accomplish three, three things. This, this is my passion. Number one, I want you to hear from God. I don't want you to hear from Chris or from the elders. I want you to hear from God, all right? Number two, I want you to discern if what I am describing to you is truly from God. We believe as elders that it is, but you know what? This congregation needs to believe the same thing to the core of their being if this vision is going to unfold because it can't happen otherwise. So discern whether this vision is of God. And number three, will you be open in your hearts and allow yourself to be inspired, inspired so that your life can be given over to fulfilling that vision that we believe God has given us together? That's the dream. That's the hope. I got three weeks and I hope you will listen carefully and engage in each of those ways. First of all, let me start with the setting in Nehemiah. You know the story of, of the people of God. We've been through the story campaign for the better part of a year. The Israelites have been exiled to Babylon. Uh, that superior power came down and invaded and absolutely destroyed Jerusalem. I mean they destroyed it. There wasn't much left standing after the, the Babylonian army had left. God's people had been enslaved in Babylon. The large majority of people had been taken 800 miles from their home to the city of Babylon and uh, had lived for a long, long time in slavery. And it's in this context that we begin to read the story of a man named Nehemiah. I'm going to read to you uh, Nehemiah 1, verses 1 to 3, and listen to the report he received. The words of Nehemiah, son of uh, Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. And I, one of my brothers, came from Judah, that's an 800-mile journey, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. How are my people doing? How is my homeland? 
They said to me, those who survived the exile, the few who remained, are back in the province uh, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Note the words, great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. I want to tell you, my friends, uh, this was bad, bad news. Um, great trouble and disgrace. Uh, they're, they're powerful words. Th these people are struggling. They're living with disgrace and shame because of their circumstance. The walls of Jerusalem, the defensive walls have broken down. These people live in a hostile en environment. They have enemies and they have nothing to defend them. The gates have been burned. They are living in a hopeless, desperate situation. Things are really, really bad. Um, and I want you to remember right at the beginning of this, this journey that we're taking, the purpose of, 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 of God forming the people of Israel. Do you remember what it was as we went through the story campaign? The purpose of the people of Israel was to, to display the glory of God so that people could look at this nation, his people, blessed by him, cared for by him, and see the magnificence of God, the power, the beauty, the goodness, the love, the greatness of God. Well, what did people see now as they looked at Jerusalem? Uh, there's no indication of the glory of God, none. Um, instead, <laughs> there's actually the opposite reality being displayed. Instead of power, there is weakness. Instead of God's ability to protect and bless his people, there is defeat. And instead of ability to, to overcome, it seems like there's an in inability for God to protect. And God's people are living in a terrible circumstance. Then comes this, chapter 1, verse 4 of Nehemiah. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What did Nehemiah do? Number one, he wept. He wept. He cried deeply from his heart. It broke his heart that things had come to this, that the name of God was being so dishonored. And then he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. You see, this was a godly man. His heart was with God. His heart was for God. He had a passion for the glory of God. He had a deep desire that others would see and know the God that he had come to see and know, but it wasn't happening. So he prayed for days. He sought God and he, he sought God's will. And out of that time of prayer came a dramatic vision of what could be powerful vision, a great hope to go there to rebuild the walls and to rehang the gates and essentially to restore the life of Jerusalem as it had once been, to restore the worship of God. This man spent the next 15 years in Jerusalem when he eventually was given the freedom to go before he went back to Babylon. It became his life's calling. <clears throat> his dream was that again that Jerusalem, the people of God, would reflect the reality of God to the world. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want to describe to you, that in my mind, the dramatic similarities that we find in our situation to the situation in Jerusalem that day. Because if we were really honest with ourselves, my friends, is it not true that the glory of God is gone in our world? Is it not true that the large majority of people in this country of ours do not know God? They do not know the magnificence and the beauty and the power and the grace and the love that is in him? And the church, God's people today, who are intended to what? Display the glory of God. The church is in a shambles. <laughs> you know, the walls have broken down. You realize that, don't you? 
churches are empty and they're closing all the time. The, the critics in the culture are just assuming that the church is dying because it is something of a historic, superstitious reality and someday soon it will be gone. Probably the mainline churches will be gone in a generation or two. That's actually true, but God will raise something up, won't he? But when people look at the church, what do they see? They see defeat. <laughs> they see failure. And I want to tell you most specifically when people look at the church today, you know what they see? Child sexual abuse, right? That is the predominant message that has come into the culture about who we are, whether it's us or not. And not only do they see child sexual abuse, they see, they see the institution of the church covering up the child sexual abuse. As if the first wasn't bad enough, they see hypocrisy. They see people who, and I don't think it's always true, but in some instances, tragically, it is. They see people who they think hate gay people. And they see people who want to subjugate the rights of women. Whether that's always true or not, I don't think it is in so many instances, but that's what people see. And this leaves people not knowing God and not seeing God through us, people living in ways that only bring harm to their lives ultimately and lead them to a Christless eternity. And I want to tell you this, my friends, this reality that surrounds us is worthy of our tears. Of weeping and mourning and fasting and praying, being so deeply moved and, 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 and passionate about the glory of God that we weep and fast and mourn and pray until God gives us a vision, until we see and understand what we can do so that the glory of God can be seen again, that the worship of God can be reestablished, that people come to see and know and love this God rather than not misunderstanding him or not being concerned at all about him. And I want to tell you this, like the people of Jerusalem, it is really, really easy to get used to what surrounds us and not weep, right? See, these people in Jerusalem, they had lived there many, many years in shame and in disgrace and incredible trouble and in vulnerability to their enemies and in hopelessness, but they got used to it. This became normal to them. They accepted the reality. There's no Nehemiah rising up from amongst the people of Jerusalem to see things change, to build the walls, to reestablish the glory of God. They just accept it as it is. And I want to tell you, for Christians today, it is incredibly easy for us to do exactly the same thing, to see what surrounds us, a spiritual disaster, and people living in ignorance of God, living as they choose. And to us, it's so easy that it becomes normal that we accept it. And we have no hope that things might ever change. And as a result, we don't weep. Well, I want to tell you today, my friends, your elders have given the last few years, note the word, um, to seeking to God, to seeking God, to going to God in prayer, to, to longing to know his mind and his heart for a vision that he might give to us about what might be in the future for IPC. And we now have these, this blueprint, these concrete ideas about what can bring that vision on the wall to life. There's not very much in that vision that's concrete. But now we have a document, we have a plan. And it is this that I'm going to share with you today. Um, and our hope and our prayer, our passionate desires, desire is that you will hear it, that you will discern God in it as we have, 
and that you will be, be open in your hearts to embrace it so that together we can give our lives to the accomplishment of it. So, briefly, just to step in, our, our plan, our blueprint, it's the seven-year plan, um, it broken into three phases. The first two uh, years are the is the phase of consolidation. We're going to lay the foundation for all that is to come. That doesn't mean we're not going to step into dynamic realities that are unfolding. Think Rock Eric and many other things for that matter, but we're going to lay the foundation for everything else that is to come. The second phase is a three-year phase called uh, implementation. We're going to initiate much that's in the blueprint. And then the third phase, which is two years, is the phase of multiplication. You've heard me talk about developing uh, satellites. We're now calling them campuses. We might develop one campus in the implementation phase, but by the time we get to multiplication, we'll know what we're doing, and we might do two more, right? So we have a very detailed plan, and it's going to play out as God wishes. Um, one thing I realized, just again by way of preparation before I jump in, much of what you're here, going to hear today and over the next three weeks, including today, I realized in preparation, man, you've heard a lot of this before. There are about 12 items that are brand new that I hope you're going to love, right? But a lot of you have heard before, but here's what, I, what you need to know in order to really foresee that preferable future. A vision is something that is seen in the mind's eye, right? And it so motivates us that we're drawn to the fulfillment of it. And what you need to know is that this vision has, and I use the word scope. When God gives vision, it has scope. In other words, it's big. You know, when God went to, to Noah and said, you know, I want you to do something, he didn't say, I want you to build a little boat that will hold your family. He said, I want you to build a massive ark. And when God went to Moses and said, I want you to go to, the, to Egypt and, 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 and uh, free my people, he didn't say get half a dozen or maybe two dozen people and go back to, to, to the promised land and, and create a new nation from those folks. He said, I want you to go there and I want you to get hundreds of thousands of people out of that land and I, take, I want you to take them all back to the promised land. And Moses went, scared skinny, initially refusing. And I want to tell you our vision has scope. We envision a church that is three to four times the size that it is now. 12 to 1,500 people meeting together in various campuses around our region. You know, they all, don't, they all don't have to come here. But we want to see this church grow large. Now, as soon as I say that, every single time I know somebody's about to say to me, why do we need a big church just for the sake of a big church? No, we want a big church for the glory of God. We want to see, can you imagine a thousand new believers here in seven years? People who are far from God now and who, who have no knowledge of him, who don't understand the glory of God and the majesty of God and the beauty of God, and all of a sudden they're brought into a relationship with God through Jesus, and their lives are transformed, and they join us passionately in the journey to build the kingdom of God. That's why we want to be a big church, because we want see, to see people come to Christ and have their lives transformed in him. So where do we start? Where do we start? I'm going to read to you verses uh, of chapter 1, verses 5 to 11, and I want you to notice in this what Nehemiah does. He goes to prayer, and notice how he prays um, for God's people and how they might be in proper relationship with their God again. See where I'm going this morning? All right, let's read this. Then I said, this is right after the morning of fasting and praying, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the, and hear the prayer of your servant, open to 
Hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave our servant, your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Guess what happened? But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you, your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. What a prayer this man prayed. You see, he begins with confession, and then he, he talks about God's faithfulness. You see, he wants, he's primarily asking God to get the people of God back into relationship with him in the way that they always should have been in relationship with him, faithful to the God who is willing to be faithful to them. And I want to say there's incredible relevance here again to our circumstance. And it's primarily this, that when we begin to develop the vision some years ago, not the blueprint, but the vision that's on the wall out there, we realized pretty early on that, that, that what we needed to do more than anything else was to build up the body of Christ first. And as a result of the nine sentences in that vision on the wall, seven of them are about you and about me, about how we're going to build spiritual strength and dynamic into the body of Christ before we go out into the world. That's what the last two sentences are about. We met with, together with you in a town hall meeting in November, and you know what we heard? Because after a some discussion, we all broke up into to, to, uh, small groups and people took notes. You know what we heard repeatedly from those small groups? People said, get it right internally before we reach out. I don't know why a majority of those groups said that, but that's what they said to the elders. And you know what? We celebrated that because what we were hearing from God through his people is exactly the same thing we had heard from God. That was exciting to know that reality at play. So in the end of the day, my friends, what we need internally here, as the vision statement sentence one says, is spiritually mature followers of Jesus who are passionately living to bring the God's kingdom into all areas of life. That's what we need. The people of God taking hold of a vision, taking hold of their faith, allowing it to transform their lives and their lifestyle so that incredible things happen for God. Um... You know what, I'm going, I'm going to describe to you this, I'm going to jump in today, you know, and, and we can't even do it in three sermons, realistically. That's why the meeting after church on the 9th is going to take place. We'll give it more detail and, and more uh, uh, focus than we, than we can more fully on a Sunday morning. And you're welcome to come to that as, as has been announced today. But you know what, if there are people here today, as you hear what I'm about to describe over the next three weeks, and you say, you know what, Chris, I just don't think that's a possibility, and many of you will because this thing has scope. This baby has legs, right? This is going to move. It's big. Um, you know what? I'm kind of really happy because every time God actually gives a vision to his people, their people go, whoa, I don't know. I can't, that's too big. That's too much. I can't, I, I can't even see it happening. That's exactly what happens to the people of God when a truly biblical vision is given to them. But my friends, I want you to know this and I want you to believe it to your core. If God is in it, and that is the question, it is he who will accomplish the vision. It is he who will do remarkable things as he did in the life of Nehemiah and Noah and Moses. Da, 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 da. And it is God who will accomplish the things that we're going to discuss in these weeks.
So, number one. And we have graphics uh, presented uh, that, we, that I can describe some of these categories to you. And I have to keep my eye on the clock because like Joyce, I'm a pastor and we know how to talk. Uh, worship, creative expression, media, and communications. You know what? We want Christ-centered, culturally relevant worship that has been this way in this church for years and years and years. We want to speak the language of the culture to tell people about Jesus and worship. And you know what? The culture continues to change. Guess what? Our worship services need to continue to change so that we're speaking in such a fashion that people get it and are transformed by it. Be prepared. Number two, we want to have our worship that is dynamic and continually growing in creativity. You know, someone said to me recently, and I loved it. I heard it. It wasn't spoken directly to me, but I heard it, that the language of this culture is creativity. That's, it is a creative you know, artistic expressions of, in so many ways that are deeply impacting the lives of people. And that we have got to embrace creativity in any way that God calls us to. That is our challenge. That is our commitment. We want to have a songwriting team. We want the Spirit of God to put a team together, and from those people, we want the Spirit to inspire them to write a song, write songs that we as the people of God can sing into the presence of our Lord. And we want a songwriting team that not only provides us with worship music, but maybe songs that will be sung around the world. Can you pray to that end? That's exciting. We want um, to have conferences and seminars to teach other struggling churches or otherwise to come here and to learn how to engage creative, dynamic, culturally relevant worship, which we are going to be embracing more and more and more. We want to, to create a community of artists, Jesus followers and those who are not, to deal with the issues that are unique to artists. And as that group meets and as they grow in relationship and as they deal with the issues, we will share Jesus with those who don't know him. We want a communications team to do great things, a remarkable number of things, but have nothing else to develop a powerful online presence so that people can hear about Jesus. You know how people communicate today? It's not by coming and listening to the talking head. It's me. It's, uh, it's the internet. That's how people live that's where the messages are being profoundly dispersed in our society, and we've got to embrace that. All right. Number two uh, is discipleship and spiritual development. Rubber hits the road here in terms of what I've described to you already. Certainly, worship can engage in this development of spiritual maturity, but I want to talk about life groups for a little while, take a longer time with them, because they are absolutely central to the vision of this church. If they fail, the vision falls. If they thrive, the vision will take off. So here we go. What is this all about? I want to describe to you, maybe not necessarily in this order, but I want to describe to you, I want to do it this way. I want to tell you what we envision for your life, right? Not some theoretical concept. This is what we want for you, and we believe God is calling us to provide this for you as you step into it. Number one, we want you to be a part of a group of people that get really close we want you to be part of a people, a group of people which just loves to get together, loves sharing in relationship, loves one another. Deeply and from the heart, Peter wrote. Nobody gets to do life alone at IPC. We don't believe in that. We want those groups together weekly, preferably in homes, and we want the people of, that, of those groups to do life together. These are the people that you enjoy. These are the people you hang out with. These are the people that you serve with and pray with. These are the people that you do life with. We want you to dig deep, 
deeply into the Bible. We want people with the gift of teaching to be teaching in a way that the people of the groups really are confronted on a weekly basis with the Word of God. Not necessarily the leader of the group. That leader has other jobs to do. But what, what is necessary is that these people gather together and they're confronted with the Word of God. They discuss it together. Application is given to their lives. And in and through this process, people are changed. Changed. But we want to go deeper into Scripture as we have given notice to in recent uh, uh, campaign of the story. We want you to be in a group where you are deeply cared for and loved. Trouble comes into your life, we want the others to be there in an instant because they love you. Heard of a, a couple in our church um, who had about a month of real challenge and difficulty in their lives. I don't need to describe it. But none of us in the office, none of the pastors heard about it. But what, what, the, message, what the message was that came back to us, oh, no, no, that doesn't matter. Our life group were amazing. They, they took care of it all. They blessed us and they carried us through that time. That's what we want for you when those times of heartache and difficulty and challenge come into your life. We want you to be in a group of people who truly trust one another so that they, you and they, can share honestly about their life. No need to hide. No need to pretend we're all perfect. Oh, hi, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. No need to wear the masks that keeps, keep us separate from one another and, and cause us to hide from one another the reality of our lives. We want you to have trusting relationships where you can share your brokenness and share your woundedness and share your failures, even the failures that happened in your life before God. And we want you in those relationships to, to experience and respond a love and an acceptance and a mercy and a grace and a patience that will transform and change your life. It's called grace. We want you to come to a place where you realize that these life groups are really what church is all about. Do you see how dramatically different this is than popping into church on a Sunday morning? This is church, a little mini church, a house church led by a pastoral care kind of person, woman or man, taught by people with the gift of teaching, loved by people with the gift of mercy, and on and on it goes. Central to who you are. And in those groups, we're going to teach you about sharing your faith so you can reach out. Sharing your story. In the fall, we're going to have a campaign again, Sunday morning and life group combination. We're going to teach people about sharing their stories of their experience of God. Because as you share it amongst yourselves, then you'll be in a position to be able to share it with people who don't know Jesus. It's going to happen. And then this is a place where you'll be inspired to go out and do mission, either together or on your own. You see, my friends, our conviction is that this is the place where people become spiritually mature followers of Jesus more than any, anywhere else. And our dream is that 70% of our people will be involved in those life groups as we go forward. Um, I could talk to you more about that. Might, might, might come later. Number two, and I'm going to be more brief here, the idea of focus groups. So we can go back to the previous slide, please. Now, focus groups uh, are, are just another way for us to group some groups. We've got some of these already. They're simply groups where people join together who have a similar focus. Oasis. Older adults still in service. Amen. There, the pastor back there cheering away. Uh, people are joined together by their maturity. <laughs> Sisterhood. It, it, are those women all still away this weekend or are you back? They're gone. Yeah, 30 of them gone. Uh, by the way, all you men who are here with your kids, good job. Because the easiest thing in the world, you know, stay home. Anyway, um, <clears throat> 
Sisterhood, they're joined by their gender. Impact, men coming together to deal with issues that are prevalent to them. And in all these groups, we have life groups, life-transforming contexts. So, you know, but we also want to see people who are, are in the midst of incredible struggle coming together to be blessed, to be led through the struggle back to life in Jesus, joy and healing in him. You know, people who are grieving, People being able to come together and know this is what a grief, a healthy grief process looks like and you're here in the journey and you're okay. This is normal for you to feel this right now. And if they're grieving in an unhealthy way to get some help to do things differently. You know, people who, who are just blessed and prayed for and cared for in a deeply difficult and painful time. How about people who are going through a divorce or who have been recently divorced? What a painful thing that is to experience. People who, 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 who can, again, come together and support one another and be blessed in that. But again, this is the journey that people go through in the experience of divorce. And we're here for you. And we're going to help you through it. And there's a better day coming. You know, the idea of, of, of getting together for financial planning. You know, there are people who can't, can't seem to manage their budgets in a, a healthy way primarily because they don't have a budget, right? And, and they get themselves in trouble. But we can come together with them and we can teach them biblical stewardship so that they get to know what God intends for their financial dynamic. How about the, the question of sexuality and various expressions? Let's get together and discover what it means to follow Jesus faithfully considering this. And I want to tell you, my friends, the list could go on and on and on, but in all of this, again, we want to do it for our people, but we want to reach out into the communities. We bring people together. We're going to share Jesus in the way of God. Let me go to the discipleship training program. Um, this, is, this is a dynamic that we're essentially using to replace the Bible school. We heard at that town hall meeting, we've got the story, we don't need Bible school right now. This is enough, believe me. So we backed off. And in the process, we've come to this realization that what we really need is a discipleship training process, yes, to continue to teach biblical books, but also to teach everybody how they can be effective and powerfully influential as they fulfill their role as part of the vision. So we're going to treat teach small group leaders how to envision their small group and how to create the, group that we, the groups that we dream of them leading. We're going to teach people who do the Bible teaching in life groups and otherwise how to do so with great effectiveness. We want to train leaders to lead. We need more leaders active in the church. You know, we had some, I won't again describe the dynamic, I think for obvious reasons, but we took some bigger ideas to one of the ministries in our church and the, the leader of those people said to us, well, how's this going to happen? I can't do this. I'm not a leader. And we said, well, we'll provide the leadership for you because we're going to train people to lead the people of God into effectiveness for the sake of the kingdom of God. We need to train parents in this discipleship school how to disciple their kids, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. We're going to teach people how to pray because that's one of our priorities that you'll hear about next week. There are various types of prayers and different ways to pray, and you know what? We're going to teach people how to pray so that God moves in power among us. We're going to teach people about mission and how to engage it in worship. Hopefully by the people of, who, who are the staff of our church. We, we heard that in the town hall meeting again. Don't bring other professors from schools so much as let us be taught by the people whom we know. That probably will continue in both regards, but even so. Let me tell you about this. The healing care ministry. Last one in this section, and then we'll move on more briefly. What do we want for you? What do we want for you? I want to put it this way, and I want you to hear me, and I want you to be open to this, but here is what... I would suggest the Bible clearly says, all of us, including you, we are all wounded. 
Every single one of us. We have had hurtful experiences in our lives, very often as young children, sometimes as adults. And the reality is that in those hurtful times, the, the enemy of our souls is at work, the devil, and we come to believe lies, things that are just completely untrue about ourselves, about others, and about God. And believing those lies through our, the course of our lives um, has a terribly negative and destructive effect in us. Um, we live as a result of those lives often in a broken way. For me, and you've heard my stories, so for so long it was people-pleasing and workaholism. For a lot of people, it's substance abuse. For a lot of people, it's sexual addic addiction. For a lot of people, it is the emotional brokenness that they experience and they somehow can't get beyond because of deep wounds that they have experienced. And you know, what we do with those wounds is, well, let's just, let's just pretend that they're not there. Let's just, let's, that's in the past. It's done. It has no effect on me now. I'm just going to walk away from it. You see what I'm doing? It's back there. But I want to tell you, the wounds don't go away and the lies don't go away and their influence continues to be a powerful, destructive effect in the lives of every single one of us. And what Healing Care Ministry does is very simple. <laughs> in the small group setting where trust is real, people come to a place of identifying their woundedness, their brokenness. And they are led literally into the presence of Jesus. They encounter him. And there, Jesus heals them. And they are forever changed. This has happened in my life numerous times. I led a bunch of guys through this this past winter, and I know their lives were changed. I asked in the 16th week of the course, just to, guys, it's part of what you're supposed to do. Let's share about what God has done. And I knew it was profound, but we shared together. One, one of those guys who will remain anonymous wrote to me afterwards, basically saying, like, it was hard for me to, to put it all together. I couldn't quite say everything that God has done in my life, but I want to tell you now, and here's what he wrote. I would love, I would have to say, sorry, for me, everything got a lot deeper. My love for him. Jesus, my desire to do his will for him, my meditation with him, my awareness of his presence in my life. I want to talk about Jesus every day, all the time. I am totally consumed with what he did for me in the healing process. And I will talk about it to everyone I meet. That, my friends, after somebody encountered the power and presence of Jesus in deep healing in their lives, when they moved from believing a lie to believing the truth of the word of God, and they were changed. Now, if you want to talk about people deepening in faith and growing into spiritually mature people, that is profound and powerful. And you know what? I want every single one of you at some point to do this. It takes guts, I'm telling you, it takes courage. But it is the pathway to, to freedom. You know, I'm so glad we sang that song this morning because as people experience this reality, they are set free from what? Do you ever think about what that means to be set free? Have you been set free? I want to tell you, we need set free from the, the influence of evil that has taken root in our lives, the lies that we have come to believe, the sins that take hold of us and we can't break free from. You know what we in the church do? Well, I'm going to stop doing that. We, talk, we live in moralisms. Well, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. But we never touch the root cause of the sin. My friends, this is what does it. I want to tell you, in the end of the day, we, we have set a goal that 85% of our people will be involved in one of these small groups that I'm describing to you and that your lives will be deepened and your lives will be transformed by the power and the grace and the goodness of God. Last thing, how am I doing time-wise? Oh, Joyce, 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 what am I going to do? 
Pray for me, Joyce. Okay, I'm winding down here. Honestly, I'm winding down. It is family, ministry, children, youth, and young adults. And again, just we, we can't do it all, but just the, the, the highlights. Our goal is to produce young adults who go through this process from birth to their early 20s who are passionately following Jesus, being sent out into this world, whether they go far away after college and university or whether they're just going into the workplace and remain with us. But they're going into the world as powerful witnesses to the reality of Christ. They know and have experienced his presence, his healing, his grace, and they are living witnesses to the kingdom of God. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, first of all, first and foremost, we're going to train parents to uh, disciple their kids. It's parents' primary task. We help parents do. We're going to put to the extent that we can enable that. But how do you effectively pass on the faith at each stage of a child's development? How do you discipline kids in a godly way? You know what I was realizing as I was thinking about this? You know what? When, when, when a young couple has a first child, they bring that child home, and you know what they're living in? Complete ignorance. They don't have a clue about how to bring anything up, never mind a living being. How many of you remember being there? Like, ah! <laughs> we want to be there for these people. We want to train them. We want to enable them so that they can become a powerful force for God in their child's life so those kids grow up and go into the world as committed followers of Jesus. Sound good? It's an awesome possibility we have. Number two, I'm not going to do it in order, but, but to, to complement that, we want to develop a mentoring program. Now, mentoring can be for everybody in the church, but we've put it in here because we particularly want to mentor the young. Usually, it's older people mentoring young, younger people, although there can be peer mentoring, of course. But the idea is that people who have walked the journey ahead of people who are younger than them, who are older, mature, spiritual believers, who have encountered God in so many ways, can then pour their lives into these younger folks, telling them about their experience of Lord, giving them the wisdom that they need to grow in faith. How to, how to develop a relationship with God, how to deal with temptation, on and on and on it goes. Intimate relationships, caring relationships between two people, younger and, uh, and older in the faith. I'm doing this right now. Just came to me. Young guy came to me uh, three months ago and he said, will you mentor me? And, Whoa, you're going to the top, aren't you, buddy? <laughs> but I thought about it and <laughs> I thought, I believe in this. This is part of our vision. So every Monday at lunch, I'm mentoring a young man and I'm helping him grow into maturity in Christ. I'm passing on what God has taught me. When the guy's 20 years old, this little 60-year-old guy who still doesn't have it figured out, almost 60, is, is telling him things that it took me 60 years to figure out. It's a powerful thing. And again, it's not just for young people. We want young moms to be mentored by older moms so that they know how to be a great mom, so that they know how to be a great wife. We, know we want young dads to be mentored by an older man so they know how to be a great dad and a great husband, a godly mother and father in the home, etc., etc., etc. Okay, just, um, we, we want this internship program. Well, we've thought about this for a good while, and we love the idea, but it's like a gap year between high school and college or university where kids can come in and spend a year with us, experience all the various areas of ministry, but be profoundly impacted for God. We're going to send them to Nicaragua or elsewhere. We're going to maybe put them through the healing care process. We'll get them involved in ministry in so many and various ways, and their lives will be transformed as they serve along us for that year. Um, and I'll call it there. Let me start to wind down. Let me start to wind down. What do we need in order for all of this and a whole lot more to happen? You get this, right? You're beginning to experience scope. And I'm only mentioning some of the things even in these categories. Here's what we need. Number one, we need growth. 
You don't get from our size to 1,500 without a ton of growth. Now, why do we want growth? Because we want people to encounter Jesus. We want them to be converted so that they can live in relationship with God as we do. Huh? Isn't that fantastic? But you know what? For this vision to unfold as is going to be and has been described to you, we need people because we need more people to support the vision. If we don't have growth, we're cooked. You get that, right? It has to happen. And we're going to be encouraging and training in that, an in, in that way. Number two... Uh, we are going to need, as time goes by, hiring of more staff. Um, you can't have a church of 12, 1,500 people without hiring a ton of staff, obviously. There are times we are going to hire because of growth, and there are times we're going to hire or call an ordained minister in order to produce growth. Those become the risky steps of faith <laughs> because God tells you to do it. And the money's not there, but you do it because he tells you to do it. And we've done that in the history of this church numerous times, and every single time he has provided for us. And I can't imagine that it won't happen again. And here's the deal, getting concrete for you today. The elders of this church have a dream, have an intention to hire a pastor of discipleship in 2020. Um, a person who can take everything that I've just described to you, saving, I believe, family ministry, and creating that dynamic reality training life groups to become everything they can, Leading, giving leadership and encouragement and training to the healing care ministry and to the focus groups, and on and on and on it goes. So we will need to hire, and we dream of that happening next year, God willing. And then lastly, you know what we need? And this sums everything up that I've said to you today. We need a church full of people who are spiritually mature followers of Jesus who are passionately living to bring God's kingdom into every area of life. I'm turning it back to you. We need people who hear this vision and who are growing deep in their faith and who are living their lives passionately for Jesus. He becomes their preoccupation. He becomes their purpose. And they're willing to live with great sacrifice and great service and great intention to fulfill this vision that God has given to us. You know, I was thinking about our, our byline for our vision, Living the Story. We've been through the story campaign. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that there's a God story. It starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. And we've been through it for almost a year as we marched our way through Scripture. There is a God story and every church in Canada gets to decide whether they'll participate in that story or not. I want to tell you there are a ton of churches who are not, which are not. And they're dying. I mentioned them earlier. They're doing church just to satisfy the interests and needs of the people in the pew and they're not taking risky steps of faith and they're not engaged at all. They couldn't care less about vision. They just keep doing what they're doing because they've always done it. They're not listening for God who calls them up into his God story. And my friends, we, all of us, have to decide whether we're going to be a church who doesn't bother with the God story, who gives itself with passion to step into the God story so that we, like Nehemiah, end up doing great things for God. Those walls were built, right? You know that. The community was restored. The worship was restored. The glory of God shone again. Let me take this a step further, if you would. Not only do we as a church need to decide whether we're going to get caught up in the God story, we as individuals need to decide it. I'm just being really honest with you. Um, will we as God's people recognize that he has a role for each of us individually to play in the unfolding of his will here on earth as we move toward the second coming of Jesus Christ? Some of you may say, no, I'm focusing on other things in my life. A lot of believers worship foreign gods, uh, other idols. 
I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. It's just a reality. We live often for other things. But there are people who hear the call of God and say, Lord, you show me what it is that you are calling me to do, and I'm going to give my life to see this vision become a reality. Is that you? Is that you? See, in the end of the day, my friends, the question is how many Nehemiahs are here? Hmm? How many people are here who want to make their life count for God? and for his glory. Um, how many people, can I put it this way, are, are going to be willing to see the needs which surround them and will allow their hearts to be broken to the point of weeping and who, based on the reality which they see, are willing to give their lives as Nehemiah did to form vision not only as part of a church but part for their own experience and live sacrificially so that the vision God has given to them will be realized. I want that to be you. I want that to be every single one of us. And I want that to be me. You know, I want you to go home, and if you would, I want you to read Nehemiah chapter 1, 2, and 5. Study it over the next three weeks. Sermon 1 is chapter 1. Sermon 2 next week is chapter 2. Sermon 3 is chapter 5. And I want you to let God call you into ministry. Because if we will do that as individuals, if we will do that as a church, here's, here's my punchline, here's my almost final line, we will see God do great things through us. I believe that with all of my heart. We need people who are called like Nehemiah. We need the vision to be discerned of God, and then we need people who are willing to give their lives to accomplish it. And I'm here today to ask you to do that. Big ask, yeah, we'll talk even more about that next week. But my friends, if we will... As with Nehemiah, God will do great things through us. And I want to tell you, based on the authority of Scripture, the glory of God will shine again through a people called IPC. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we're yours. Oh, how blessed we are to know Christ and have our sin forgiven and to know your presence in our lives and to have an eternity before us with you. But God, as your people, we're also called to do great things for you. We're people who are called to dream big dreams and then to give ourselves with passion to see those dreams realized. God, I pray that you will touch the heart of every person who calls IPC home. And that, Lord, you'll give them the calling and give them the passion and the desire to grow spiritually, deeply in Scripture and in the knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus. And then to give themselves with passion to the vision that you have for them and for us. Gracious God, we pray that you will do great things among us, literally, that your glory might shine again, that the world might see and know the incredible God that you are. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Do it.